Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive. Mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are very excited. Today you guys are going to listen to Dr. Brad part two, where we dive into fresh and new perspectives having to do with the C virus. Are are we actually allowed to say that word? I I think we can say the virus now. Okay. Well, Corona and (laughs) all things that go with Corona and just you know, the science we've had, we've had some time now, we've got more data, we've got more mm-hmm. um, information because it's been around longer. So, you know, as per usual, Dr. Brad dives into all of it. And then he's able to kind of, you know, dispel everything for us and tell us what's working, what's not working, you know, what stuff is sort of absolutely completely insane that we're still doing and what stuff, you know, if you Why didn't know how crazy Nicole feels, now you yeah. do. I am terrible at censoring myself. I've decided pretty much on a censorship platform. Yeah. We I, support speech. We support free speech. So. Yeah. So we love having Dr. Brad on because he um, is really passionate about the data and coming from an unbiased source of just like, this is what the research says. These are what the numbers are showing. You know, it's important to remember when you're consuming information from any media outlet, like they're spinning it to say whatever message they want to say, right? And so it's important to look at data from many different perspectives. So he talks about new variants, the jabs, boosters, what other countries are doing in comparison to us. So you can just have a really well-rounded approach to whatever you're choosing for yourself and your family, which that's why we want to have them on. We want you guys to have, you know, the best quality information in all things, health and wellness, um, COVID included. So it's jam packed full, like have a notebook ready. You're going to want to take notes and listen to this one a few times because we covered so much. We went pretty fast, but we felt like it was all super necessary. There's a lot of division and people being crabby at each other and people having really crabby. I just think that word just sounds I love it. not as intense. <laughs> people, being um, people are really crabby and people have really strong opinions and that's fine as you should. Right. But I just feel like it's always good to have an open mind and maybe you'll learn something new. Maybe we don't need to have so much arguing and all of that right now. And and that's really what I like about Dr. Brad too, is he's all about like love wins and Mm -hmm. it's great. I mean, cause we all had similar training on an emotional work and it's really important. So just being able to kind of listen to all this information with an open mind and then make the best decision for you. And it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. Keeping the vibes high. The vibes high. Love it. All right. So we hope you guys love this episode. And our partner today is a nutritional and essential oil company that we love. All three of us, Dr. Brad included, love the Vervita nutrition line. They have supplements to support different systems of the body, um, a lovely one for the immune system. That's great. And they have essential oil blends to support those body systems as well. We love their products, use them with our patients, our own families, animals, pets, and so our horses, horses, Dogs. they love it. And so you guys can go to their website for Vita products. We'll leave the link in the show notes and you just use our code coffee and all it'll caps. save you. Yep. All caps coffee. And we'll let you order. Cause it is at a checkout. Yeah. Right. <laughs> at checkout, use the code coffee. It'll get all you caps. hooked up. All right. All caps. 
also calms is a great product. If you are having problems sleeping and your brain is going nonstop, I feel like that's been speaking of stress. I feel like that's one that a lot of people have been totally digging right now. So check it out. Yeah. And they do a great job on their website. They've got little blurbs about all their products. You can read about what they're for, how to use them, but those are some of the faves. All right, everyone. Enjoy guys. All right, everyone. Welcome back to coffee with the docs. We are so excited today. Our return guest, our most downloaded episode of all time in over two years, Dr. Bradley Campbell. So welcome, Dr. Brad. Thanks for having me. I didn't know that. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. You're like a celebrity, basically. You're famous. Wow. Humble. Yeah. So Brad, we love also, I'm just going to jump in for a hot sec. I feel like it's also just something that everybody is really wanting to hear about right now. Right. So it Mm -hmm. definitely helps. They want a new perspective. And that's exactly what that last episode was. It was super eye-opening for a ton of our listeners and they really appreciated it. So thank you. Yeah. Hot topics only yeah. with Dr. Brad. Yeah. I learned All that last. Right. I was like, what goes viral on social media? Controversy. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. If you no. get a little spicy, be prepared. All right. So Dr. Brad, we'd love to start out just having you introduce yourself to our audience for people that might not know you. So Dr. Bradley Campbell, I live right near Abbey, North Shore, Chicago, Illinois, United States. I run an integrated holistic clinic here in Wilmette, Illinois, just north of Chicago. And I went to the chiropractic and naturopathic school. I was a year behind Abbey in school. And I also went to acupuncture school and did some side diplomates in that I either finished or I'm working on finishing in um, internal medicine as an internalist acupuncture, homeopathy, nutrition, and neurology. Wonderful. Just a couple of things. Just a couple of things here or there. <laughs> yeah. We used to do really, um, cool, fun muscle testing things with Brad in med school. So good times. Yeah. It was a great times. I think we talked about that a little bit in our last episode about how he helped me find my core truth and false. Yeah, actually we'll link to Dr. Brad's first episode in the show notes for sure. So yeah. people can catch that one. So Dr. Brad, as you know, we ask every guest two questions. So the first one is what is your latest biohack? Latest biohack is, well, I've been doing it forever, but it's, I've been really making a point to get back to the beach for sunrise. So like getting that, the early morning sun on your eyeballs is like my biohack and my energy and productivity goes through the roof when I'm able to actually like get the sunrise coming off over like Michigan in the morning. So I think like walking, grounding in in nature in the morning without any screen time is huge. And getting that like early morning light to start my, get my circadian rhythm going has been helping because I was so busy with the whole social media thing that my sleep cycle started getting a little wonky. And as soon as I started doing that, went right back to normal, everything kind of like recentered and my circadian rhythm is spot on. So even on the weekends or like if I'm out late, it still wakes me up for sunrise every day. I can like choose to go back to bed, but I'd say like the biohack is just like, and for patients too, sunlight or sunset every day, just like some circadian rhythm routine is huge. Love that. I seriously think there's so much like a good science with that too. Like the sun that comes up in the morning, obviously it like helps protect your skin, especially if you're going to be outside all day. And then at night it sends like those healing wavelengths. So if you have been out in the sun all day, it actually helps to heal any sunburn and stuff, which I think is super cool. Okay. What is your current drink of choice, Dr. Brad? Ooh, current drink of choice. I knew you were going to ask this too. And I was like, Hmm, what am I going to say? <laughs> um, geez. Did I say my own kombucha last time? Cause that's my favorite one. Oh yeah. Right. We went we off did. the rails about that. We went off thing. the rails. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like kombucha? I do like, um, the rebel drinks are my like current guilty Ooh. pleasure. R-E-B-B-L. They're so good. And they're selling them in the big containers now. So it's like slightly more cost-effective. Mm-hmm. I just got a new one. That's a, uh, like a cacao and protein, vegan protein one. 
Yes. They still add sugar, which is kind of a bummer, but it's only six grams per serving. So like if I do just a little yeah. bit, I don't feel as bad. Yeah. Right. The reishi one is so is good. insane. Love that one. Yeah. So that's what I just drank here. Oh, nice. perfect. Love it. All right. Love it. So Brad, it's been a while since our last episode and it feels like 10 years of things have happened in those few months. So what we'd like to focus on first is the latest craze, you know, with the whole coronavirus thing is the new Delta variant, which at this point isn't that new, but it's what everyone's talking about. So I'd love for you to just dive into that. What is the Delta variant? How different is it from, you know, the first variant or whatever that was out originally with COVID-19? So it's definitely different. It's way more contagious, but not drastically more or less deadly. There's a lot of kind of like misinformation out there, unfortunately, (laughs) everywhere these days, but some places, some research and scientists saying that it's more deadly. Some research is saying that it's less deadly. Unfortunately, the way we have access to that information is often somewhat tainted or corrupted. Like the data is often not very accurate, especially now. Less testing is happening. The testing is more biased because they're testing like regular workers on a weekly basis. So that kind of skews the testing. So the testing we had at the beginning of the pandemic and now is drastically different. A lot of the people who got the jab, which I'm using the term jab for the big V word that must not be named because social media likes to censor that. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people who got the jab are no longer getting tested when they're feeling little colds or flu-like things, which they often have the Rona and they're not getting tested. So like their case numbers are going down. So a lot of the information we have on how dangerous this thing is, is shifting. Cases are shifting. Hospitalizations are shifting. Um, a lot of the numbers are tweaked and there's a lot of confusing data because one country is drastically different in what their data looks like than another country, which is also extremely confusing for people to be like, well, why is it 80-20 here and it's 20-80 over there? It's like completely different. So it's just trying to make sense of that. And usually the truth lies in the middle, but there's a lot of fear tactics on how it's affecting children. And some of that is, I think, partially true that children are a little bit more susceptible to it, but it still doesn't seem to be much worse than a flu in normal years for children. The classic example that I have of that data is that nine children died from Rona in Illinois in 2020. Usually 20 to 30 kids die from the flu in Illinois. So like it was actually much less before. Now, my guess is we'd probably get to about 20 some kids dying um, from Rona. So it's kind of like up to a normal flu severity for children, but it's still not very dangerous. If you look at the big picture, Um, you also have to look at what other comorbidities those children had. 90% of those kids were also like overweight. So there's just a lot of um, kind of like fear tactics still being pushed. That isn't quite necessary, but when you really like look into the data or look into the research, it's really not scary if you look at the big picture perspective, but the contagiousness is definitely a thing. And a lot of people who did not get the jab are much more likely to catch Rona if they have not already. So if they're still not choosing to get the jab, it's important to have some sort of preparedness protocol ready. Absolutely. I'm glad that you talked about the younger populations because we were going to definitely dive into that. So thanks for bringing that up. So what is your take on this crazy like spike in cases? Is it just that the Delta is more contagious? Is it that? What do you what do you think? Um, I think it is that Delta is more contagious. I think we're also seeing the jab wear off. Israel's like two to three months ahead of us. And obviously they jabbed like the vast majority of their entire country. And that did not seem to help them very much where other countries that are not jabbing almost anybody, some countries are like 10, 15%. They're actually doing much better than Israel. So part of that, I think, is the people who got the jab are going more like out and about and not being as cautious and they're catching the germ. They're catching Rona and spreading it without realizing that they're spreading it. They have um, some mild protection. Originally, it was like 80% reduction in risk of catching and spreading Rona. Now it's down to about 39% at the beginning. That was like a month ago. And now it's likely even less. Some people are saying like a 25% reduction. So it means like 80%, 70% of the people who get the jab 
are still going to like catch and spread it as if they didn't have a jab. So I think those people who are jabbed are probably spreading it amongst each other a lot more and to other people. Um, but it's it's pretty confusing to see like one country do one thing and another country do another thing and have such drastic um, results and like differences in how their countries are faring. Um, and I think a lot of the people, like I said before, who got the jab, there's a decent number of people who are catching it and not being tested for it. Um, we're also having more cases because of the shifting in testing as well. Um, but obviously the death rates are still going up. And part of that question is like, still like before, it's um, are the deaths that are being counted someone who's dying with COVID, with the Rona or from Rona, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, and that's always hard to know because you can test positive for 90 days, sometimes longer after you've had it. It's hard to know any person generally who dies or is like a Rona death, it's somewhere they might've had it in the last three months or maybe longer of um, exposure. So it might not be the thing that actually killed them, but they'll still get listed as a death from it too. But I think a lot of the places that, because it is so contagious, I think a lot of the places that did not have huge spikes before are seeing them now. So like New York yeah. City had such a bad spike before that they're not like the epicenter anymore, but the south, southern half of the United States that was kind of like, not hit as hard with the first round because Delta is more contagious. I think they're getting hit a lot harder now. Makes sense. Yeah. So I think you kind of hear about this, see it all over the news that hospitals are completely overwhelmed. They're at complete capacity. We're in like a really dire situation from a healthcare standpoint. What's your take on that? Is that actually happening? I would say yes. Some of it is over hyped. Um, because there's been numerous cases of the news reporting, like this hospital is over flooding and like whatever, but they just let go of 20% of their unjabbed staff, which doesn't make sense. But there's, and people who work at some of the hospitals where they're reporting that they're full are saying, no, we're not actually full. They're just like propagating fear. But mm -hmm. there are a lot of hospitals where they are overflowing. Um, but the thing is that actually happens on a yearly basis anyways. So hospitals are designed to be full. If they were designed to be at 30% capacity, then you'd have 70% that's getting unused, that's wasted rent and space and money. So they're designed to overflow. They overflow every year in the flu season. They overflow like at holiday season. That's just kind of like what normally happens, especially now that a lot of people don't have primary care doctors. And there's a 20,000, soon to be 50,000 primary care doctor shortage in the United States. A lot of people who are lower income go to the hospital for their regular care. So we're seeing more of that because doctors aren't seeing patients as much right now, or they're only doing virtual and the people who don't have access to virtual appointments or don't want to do that when they get sick, they're going to the hospital. So they're getting overwhelmed because a lot of people, because of the pandemic, they're going to the hospital for their care. Um, I think they're also just getting overwhelmed always on a yearly basis anyways. So I think there is some of that happening from Rona, but some of it is also kind of like overhyped. Yeah, like the fundamental design of the system. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. People don't understand that that's normally how hospitals operate. Like I heard ICUs are like supposed to be at over 90% capacity all the time. Right. I have a family member who's on the Rona hotlines and they basically would say if the hospital was not full, then they will bring people into the hospital so they can like fill up the hospital beds, right? To help them. And if the hospital is right. full, they tell them to stay home. So I think when the hospital is not full, they're going to try to be full mm. like at 90%. And I think what you said is really crucial is that there's such a shortage in nurses and doctors. And so that is really adding to that overwhelmed feeling, I think, for a lot of the hospitals. Definitely. And um, certain aspects of hospital systems are overwhelmed and other aspects are underwhelmed. So there's sometimes like, the ICU is overwhelmed, but the rest of the hospital unwound, which is kind of like Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota. They had to shut down so much of Mayo Clinic because they weren't doing their like divisions. But if they were to kind of utilize non-ICU beds for Rona, then they wouldn't be super overwhelmed. Or if they were bringing the nurses that they had laid off or the doctors that aren't, they wouldn't 
have as big of a problem as well. So I think we're not seeing the extreme need for like the big stadiums or the massive like parking lots being filled up with the um, treatment centers anymore. That's kind of, we've seen that sort of go away. So I don't think there's as big of an issue. We're also still below the death, whatever, whether you believe the like the accuracy or not of the reported deaths, we're still below where the was last winter. We might be going to some place this year. We don't really know yet. But last year was kind of hovering around like 3,000 deaths a day. Right now, we're more at like 1,500 to 2,000 deaths a day. So we're still kind of not at the peak of where we were last year either. Got it. Okay. That's so important to know too, because all you're hearing is that like it's worse than ever. It's so crazy. So I love to like actually look at the actual numbers and be like, okay, let's pull back a second. And like it's not even close yeah. to where it was last year. And right. There's always hope. It looks like we're actually on the downtrend of cases right now, which should be good. So hopefully that keeps Absolutely. continuing. However, there is there is the Lambda and Mu and now R.1 strains that are out there, which are um, jab. So it means like, so that we can get into that later too. Who came up oh. with R.1? What is that? <laughs> These are like Star Wars. R two D two strain. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dot Star dot. Wars variant number three. Dot right. two one. <laughs> Perfect. That one sounds like my favorite. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, let's definitely get into that first. Let's just chat a little bit about these lovely mask mandates that are coming back. Even in Colorado, it's like Boulder County just mandated masks again, but not you know, the rest of the counties are still fine. So I don't know. And a lot of the schools are masked up again. So has anything changed with what we know in terms of mask efficacy? Like, what does the data tell us? Yeah, we've learned that cloth masks do nothing. <laughs> so the Perfect. we actually have randomized controlled trials now. And um, that was not really the case before. We would have some studies that used past epidemics or past flu studies, that sort of thing with randomized controlled trials. But most of what we had was either observational studies or studies showing that the mask would block a certain amount of particulate coming out, which makes sense. It's like if it's like the analogy of someone wearing pants and then peeing their pants, it's like it's going to block the pee from like spraying all over the room, but you're still going to smell it. Um, yep. Mask kind of work the same way. It blocks some of it, but the aerosolized like smell you're still going to get. Um, and there were studies showing that, yes, masks cloth masks do block some of that um n95s block even more but there was no like real life randomized trials saying or like assigning people to groups saying like these people wore masks these people did not these people wore this type of mask or this type of mask or this type of mask and looking over like a month or longer saying how many people actually got the rona what was the effectiveness in the same setting and um the data showed that cloth masks which is what most people are using had zero effectiveness, that surgical masks were, I think, 11%, I think it was 11%, and then N95s were about 40% effective. Wow. So wow. I always give props to people who wear N95s because I'm kind of like, if you're going to wear a mask, you might as well wear the one that's yeah. most effective. Right. right? Yeah, for and sure. People who are double or triple masking, it's like, good for them. Like they're going to do like the best they can with what they know, like wear an N95, wear something over it. But like that makes the most sense to me. So I think, but most people that's also hard to say because those masks are supposed to be taken off and cleaned or not reused. And a lot of people are reusing surgical type masks anyways. But I think if people do want to wear a mask and are using that for protection, I would definitely recommend using that N95 because that's what the research is showing makes sense like use something that's actually designed to do that right and a lot of time it's you know the science just proves stuff later that we knew beforehand like logically we knew a lot of this would be the case based on just medical logic what we've known for hundreds or thousands of years and just making general medical conclusions based on the science that we've known beforehand and what our training tells us. Good um, example of that is just the other day, the 
like in CNN and all over the news was basically saying that Tylenol is no longer considered safe or recommended during pregnancy. That used to be like the number one painkiller that was safe, mm -hmm. but now they're finding autism and ADD and neurologic issues in children, developmental issues in children, lower IQs in children who are using Tylenol. When the mother uses Tylenol during the pregnancy, they're finding that in the child. So they found more of a risk if you're using it for more than two weeks, but even a little dose might be potentially harmful. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that's kind of like, it took 26 studies and, you know, decades for that to kind of become like accepted or the recommendation. Most drugs that get on, put on the market are safe and effective, but it takes decades for them to be pulled off the market after thousands of people have been injured by them. And it's usually right. the effect. So with masks, it's kind of like we knew, and then 95 would make more sense than a cloth one. But it's why has that not been the recommendation now that we have time? And we also know logically that kids in schools generally just leave class and hang out like on the weekends or other times with each other anyways. And now that the teachers have the option of being jabbed, it doesn't make sense to mask them up in school when they're just going to be taking off their masks, like hanging out anyways, later spreading the things anyways, especially when they're wearing cloth masks that are now shown to be not effective. Right. And the cloth masks aren't effective. And even if they were like 0.1% effective, how many children are actually wearing them properly? Right. Yep. I mean, right. The, number, the logic doesn't make sense. The number of lives that are actually saved from that is probably negligible compared to the, what we talked about last time, we've like the psychological issues, kids thinking that they're protecting other people by wearing the cloth mask, which isn't doing that. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to have to, heal all these psychological <laughs> wounds and fears and hypochondria that's yeah. going into these kids. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yep. And if you look into the mask stuff, we are virtually the only country that masks young children, you know? So, I mean, even European countries that have been very, very strict, the, the whole pandemic have vaccine passports and everything else. They don't mask kids under six or under 10 or even under 12 and haven't the entire time and their numbers really aren't any different than anywhere else. So it's just, I really hope that the data and our protocols catch up with what these other countries are doing sooner than later, because especially for young children, it just, I don't see any benefit in doing that. Like only harm. Yeah. I used to tell people to go to school boards and kind of like present them the data. And I was helping people with that. And I went to a few school board meetings the last couple of months but mm -hmm. a couple doctors went viral for doing that and then got their licenses threatened. So I stopped doing that, but I found that's effective if you get enough parents to like overwhelmingly go. But if you only have five or 10 people, it's usually not effective because people on the school boards are too afraid to overturn a mandate, yeah. which is not a law. So what we're finding actually works for people is to actually like Tom DeVore in Illinois is great, but they find a lawyer who's actually really skilled in health freedom or for civil rights and basically and believes in the constitution and what we believe in and basically that's working for people is they're actually just like suing the school and winning wow wow yeah you got to go legal basically yep well especially in certain states like illinois where it's you know like you said a mandate not a law but the schools feel like they're very tied to what the state is telling them to do right for financial reasons and otherwise so yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, so gonna, we're going to get, they're using oh, the mask. They said the mask is essentially legally considered like a quarantine device um, or like a device that's supposed to help when you're actually like sick, right. but there's basically like legal reasons that say you can't require them to do that unless the health department says so. So where they're winning on legal grounds is basically saying, because it's not like a health department requirement. You can't actually like require kids to do that or to test right. regularly or other things. Right. Yeah, totally. All right. So we're going to get into the jab and try not to get censored. So here we go. <laughs> so let's get into, we kind of spoke to this briefly before, but now that so many Americans, especially adult Americans are fully jabbed, why are we seeing cases go through the roof when what we've been told is that the jab is going to end the pandemic, make things so much better, let us get back to normal, but it's almost like we're seeing things get worse and worse. 
So part of that was likely a lie. The World Health Organization <laughs> said in last September, October, that the jab would not end the pandemic. It would only be a tool to help. Mm-hmm. And I think people were put under the false belief that that would be the ticket back to normalcy. But we now know that's not the case. Thank God the UK and now the e- entire EU has dropped their jab passport idea because they realized that it doesn't make any sense. And um, there is still censorship happening. Like they censored hashtag natural immunity on Instagram recently. <laughs> yeah, and, that one uh, kills me. That one kills me. When the research now shows natural immunity is 13 times better at preventing you from catching Rona than a jab. Yeah. And 20 times, 27 times better at preventing you from getting symptoms than the jab. Wow. I think we're seeing a wave because, you know, the jab that we have is not like a traditional jab or shot, which is trying to stop you from catching it. It's merely mm-hmm. meant to lessen your symptoms or lessen the severity. So like I said a little bit ago, it's like people are under the false assumption that they're safe or that just because they don't feel anything that they're not catching or spreading it. And they're just catching and spreading it all the more, especially if they did not have natural immunity before they got their jab. Right. Yep. The piece that's really hurting my heart and I haven't necessarily experienced this myself, but I've had a lot of patients experience it is, you know, talking about like the hospitalizations and, and how supposedly, and I'd love to get your take on this, that the numbers of all the people who are doing super poorly in the hospital are purely just the unvaccinated, the unjabbed, you know, as opposed to the jabbed and doctors saying like, you're the, you're the reason that, you know, we're having all these issues where all the data you've just shared, you know, says otherwise, and almost like people feeling this really a lot of division and almost, um, you know, just being put down because they're supposedly the problem. Right. And so, I mean, I've just been reading stuff and even, you know, my brother has been like incredible at sharing data about how a lot of that is actually not true. A lot of the people who are in the hospital are actually the the jabbed people as well. And have you been seeing any data like that? Yep. So you really have to start to question it when you're getting completely opposite data from different places. Right. So There's data and some stuff that like Vox put out that said like 99 point blank percent of all of these states are hospitalizations in the unjabbed. And that makes no sense when you look at Israel and the UK's data, which basically was saying when they were having their their third wave or their Delta wave, they were finding the majority of people who were going to the hospital were actually jabbed, which you're like, well, why would it be 60% jabbed in the UK? Or why would it be equivalent in Israel currently where like half in numbers, it's almost equivalent between like jabbed and unjabbed. Like why would it be 50, 50 or 60, 40 there? And it would be 99% here. And you have to just look into the data a little bit farther than just like the headline. And they were taking January 1st till now when so Mm. many people were unjabbed. So they were looking at all of those, you you weren't considered for that data unjabbed unless you were two weeks after your second shot. So all those people in that six week period where they're like getting their jabs were unjabbed. Mm -hmm. And then they're looking from January when like no one was jabbed until now. So they're looking at the big, the whole year. So that's not, that's very misleading. And when I went and looked at some data from like a headline about Minnesota, they were saying like 97% were unjabbed. And then you actually look in the data and it said 75, 25. So that also doesn't make sense. And even like 25% who are jabbed in the hospital doesn't make sense with where Israel or the UK is at, or maybe half, or it's like equal. Um, so that's also very tricky. So you really have to like look at the big picture to sort of see what's going on. I do think that the jab does help people not go to the hospital and does help save lives and does lessen the symptoms. The problem is it's getting less effective over time. Um, So that's kind of tricky. It's still seemingly effective, but it's like slowly getting less effective. And that's part of why we're seeing Israel have the struggles it's having. The other tricky part is that Israel is starting to change their data because now that they are boostering, they boosted millions of people. Now that they're boostering people, you're not considered jabbed unless you've also had the booster. 
So their data also shifts into wow. more unjabbed people being like their cases or hospitalizations because they've had both, but they haven't had the third one. So that skews their data as well. Wow. It's pretty well, I think it's important to note, we hear the word effective thrown around everywhere, but it's like, what is it effective at? People still aren't understanding. It is not effective at all at stopping transmission. But well, that's it is like a little bit, conversation. but not much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like people barely. think that, yeah, people think that's what effective means though, mostly right. is that it's like stopping it. So then the conversation becomes if you're unjabbed, you're the whole problem because they're the only people spreading the virus, which is just not true. Right. I pray there was a, um, an article in the Atlantic that was titled, No, Jabbed People Are Not Just as Likely to Spread the Rona as unjabbed people. And they kind of like broke down a couple studies, but the studies they cited were completely miscited. <laughs> they they missed, <laughs> they they used it against what the study's conclusion actually was. And then they also um yeah, they hyperinflated some of the numbers in there and just like totally misinterpreted the entire thing, <laughs> which was annoying. <laughs> but what the title should have what the title should have been is that like no jabbed people um the accurate title would be like that jab people are almost just as likely to spread the rona mm -hmm. as unjabbed people like they are right. a little less likely the best research that they did point out was that the contagiousness period or the potential infectiveness period for a jab versus unjab person was five days or seven days so an unjab person who catches the rona may be more likely to spread it for seven days. They like have a higher viral load for that long. And a jab person is five. So it's like five to seven. So there's a few day windows difference. But the actual authors of that study said that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to spread it to more or less people. Got it. Got it. The bottom line is just don't only read headlines. Right. Yeah. yeah. You have to be very careful. Which is what everyone does. <laughs> yeah. You have to use your logic and common sense. I mean, there's so many people who are like, here's another wedding example. Like here's a wedding and 99% of the people were um, jabbed and there were just like two or three that weren't. And one of the unjabbed people got it and a dozen of the jabbed people got it. So mm -hmm. it's like, obviously the jab people can still get it. I think most people are understanding that now, but it's, there's still a lot of people who don't quite understand that concept, but it's so critical, like you're saying, because it means the passports don't make any sense. Yep. It means the, the jabs are not protecting other people yep. almost at all. And people yep. who got it under that false assumption of like, I'm going to protect my grandma when I go see her. They're, they have a false sense of security. And if anything, if they do believe that, they're more likely to get it, not realize right. it and hurt their grandma yeah. way more than someone who's unjabbed that's actually being safer and like staying home. Right. Right. Well, and I think too, the whole point of like, not even just the passports, but socially what a, what a lot of people are doing with good intentions, to be fair, but like that wedding example, like I've had many people that are so upset because they can't attend a best friend's wedding because they're requiring the jab, right? And it's like that logic just isn't there and isn't based in science. Like they should be requiring them that everyone take a COVID test regardless of jab status, right? That would be the most inclusive, most evidence-based. Obviously there's still issues with that even with the testing, but that is a lot more logical and science-based if you're doing an event and you want to protect people as much as you can, than just like, we're just requiring the jab. And if you don't have it too bad, that doesn't make any sense. No, the testing would make the most sense of what we have. Like I've kind of been saying since the beginning that like, even though we don't want to lose our privacy, like testing and contact tracing was what helped China more than anything. Right. It's like full isolation and a lot of contact tracing and testing made the most sense to protect people. And I think we're still at that point, especially since we know that the jab doesn't really protect other people. It's like those are really our best options when we're having events is to test, which a lot of people don't want to test. They don't like testing, but that is kind of like the best thing we have to help at the moment. Right. right. If you feel like you want to have an event where you're, you know, making people feel the most comfortable and providing that, that makes more sense. Or have, totally. a, or have a natural immunity passport. Love that. I love that. Proof of antibodies. 
Here's my antibodies. Yeah. The problem is that would be Solid. extremely dangerous <laughs> because people would actually go intentionally get Rona, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people would be like, wow, this is, they would get really sick and they'd be like, wow, this is really serious. I didn't think it was this going to be this. We're <laughs> right. like, I thought I was healthy, but now I'm like out for like two weeks. And you're like, yeah, right. that really stinks. Most people like bringing back the chicken pox parties. Right. Like it wouldn't be good, but oh, if they were to have that, people would intentionally get the Rona, which is a good thought experiment for people to question, because if they actually were, people were willing to get sick in order to have their lives back, it really tells you what matters to people is not yeah. life and death. It's really, they want love. They want connection. They want a party. Right. They want weddings. They want community. Like if we, yeah. if we deprive people of love, they will risk death in order to get love back in their lives. I 100% would have on purpose gotten exposed. Me too. But I have antibodies. Who knew? I'm testing mine finally. Good grief. Thanks. Forever. I know. Well, let's, let's jump into your thoughts on boosters because I'm like loving those memes that I see where it's like a zombie and it's like, I just got my 56 booster. Feeling great on my 200 booster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are they necessary? How often is this like a forever thing? Like, just like, I just found it so interesting that all these people got the first vaccine and I would say they're the first jab. Gosh, I'm terrible at that. Yeah. You're really blowing it. Go back and edit my son. Really bad at that. Um, but you know, they got their first jab. They're like, all right. And then all of a sudden they've got all these booster requirements and so many of even my patients who did get the jab didn't want to get the booster but it's almost like you didn't even get it then. Like you were saying, as part of the research numbers for some of these studies. So spill it. What do you think your thoughts are on these guys? I think it's honestly still too early to know. The limited data we have shows that it is seemingly quite effective in people 60 years of age and older. So yeah, the best data we have actually shows that it is useful, but it could cause problems too. We don't have a lot of data on potential negative reactions to a third shot, which I think there would, I mean, you just keep increasing antibodies. You're more likely to get an imbalance in your immune system. You're more likely to possibly get like autoimmune reactions, you're more likely to get negative side effects when there's already a lot of negative side effects to the first two. A lot of people know like the first one was okay. The second one, they felt a lot worse. So we might see some of that. I think a lot of it depends on how high of antibodies people still have before the third one. Um, but I think it's still too early to say, but it does seem like the booster does a good job at increasing antibodies. Like that's very clear, I would say. is like for sure the third booster increases antibody protection like the first two did. But um it's like still too soon to really know if that's going to be super protective. My gut reaction says it'll help a little, but it might backfire. Kind of like Israel's case where like they're jabbing everybody and they're boosting everybody and they're doing really poorly. Mm -hmm. I think that might be the case that continues. It's kind of when like- isn't it? I think a lot of people don't understand, like there's pretty much not really research on booster right? Nope. Like you're kind of the research study if you're doing that. Yeah. When everyone's sort of saying like, I trust the science. I'm like, you are the science. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And I think at least some of the stuff I've been researching is some of these potential negative side effects with messing with the immune system, we might not see for a year and a half or two years. And so we're longer. I yeah. Or longer. So how do we really know? And when so many people are maybe trying to report a negative outcome or, um, side effect, and maybe it's not being reported quite accurately too. I think that really starts skewing some of the research as well. Yep. I mean, there's a reason why the FDA said, don't do it. If they're saying don't do it when their pocketbooks are generally like commingling with all of the pharmaceutical companies, um, it probably means don't do it, <laughs> at least not yet. Like wait right. a little bit, you know, don't have to hop on the gravy train like too soon. Um, but I think like Walensky at the CDC just kind of like overnight decided to change and like recommend it <laughs> for no I reason. Saw that. So there's that, but um, 
yeah, we really don't know yet. There's conflicting information and a lot of doctors are saying like, we really shouldn't do that at this point. I always go on the side of a little more caution, especially like you said, we don't have any long-term research, even on just two. So who knows what three is going to do? And it's a, it's a very scary precedent to start saying like, we're just going to keep approving stuff or pushing stuff that we have very little research on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of started this. So let's just go into negative or adverse reactions. So a lot of, interestingly enough, a lot of people have been posting their experience. Maybe they had to be hospitalized, whatever, after a dose of the jab and are being censored. So there's that. But how often do you feel like in actuality, you know, because then you hear from the other side of the fence, like how many millions of people have gotten the jab and have been fine, or maybe they feel sick for a couple of days and that's it. Right. So how often do you feel like people are experiencing these negative reactions, whether it be the myocarditis we've heard about happening, heart issues, neurologic issues, seizures, et cetera? So let's do some math right now and we'll find out. So if you, if you look at <laughs> open VAERS, openvaers.com, that's mm-hmm. like the easiest way to actually find the Rona jab adverse event reports. It's easier than the actual like reporting system. They will list the deaths and hospitalizations and reports of all those things. And some doctors will kind of fortunately gaslight those people and say like, those numbers are an overestimate. A lot of people like assume just because you die, oh, you know, the day after doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from the jab. Um, like you get a jab, you have a negative thing happen to you. It's not necessarily cause and effect, but if you read the reports, generally most of them are. And mm-hmm. most research actually says that the numbers reported are usually only 1% of what's actually happening because most people don't know how to report it. They're not told how to report it. Most doctors and nurses are told not to report it these days, actually, which is kind of scary, even though they're like legally required to, they're generally disincentivized or told not to by their administration systems, which they're not even allowed to tell you because they would probably be fired (laughs) for doing so, um, which is scary. But right now, Um, As of September 10th, there's in just the U.S., there's millions of reports in Europe, but there's 700,000 reports of adverse events, which is huge. Like that's so many people, 701,559 reports. And if you look at the total number of people who have been fully jabbed, it's 182 million in the U.S. is what they're saying. So basically you take 182 million just so many people divided by the 700,000 and you get 260. So that means like, is that right? That's a lot. Yeah, that's right. So one in 260 people would be like reporting that they're having a reaction of the fully jabbed people. And And it's potentially a lot more than that. If only that's 1%. Right. That's why most people are saying because it's so in the public eye, they're really saying it's probably about 10%. Mm Mm-hmm report it because it's yeah. like so popular right now and everyone's so like Rona aware. So it could be one in 260, it could be one in 26. We really don't know the true number, but that means that many people are having an adverse event that's actually worth reporting, which is- Can you talk wow. about what that might be? Because I think we hear about the extremes, like, okay, someone lands in the hospital from the jab. Or are people reporting an adverse event that are just like home super sick for a day? So almost one in six or one in seven of those were doctor office visits, which means someone was so unwell that they had to go to the doctor, which is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's 110,000, 80,000 were urgent care, 60,000 were hospitalizations. So it means like 10% of those. So probably one in 260 to one in 2,000 people have to go to the hospital which is pretty a bad. Um, yeah. There are 15,000 deaths. So like the major reactions people are having are typically cardiovascular bell or like weird nerve and immune system stuff. So Bell's palsy, um, heart issues, myocarditis. I mean, there's 20,000 who said they're permanently disabled, which is actually pretty crazy. Um, mm-hmm. The thrombocytopenia, low platelets, 15,000 were apparently life-threatening. 30,000 were allergies, but shingles and Bell's palsy are fairly common. And then a lot of the like heart stroke clot type of issues. Right. 
which is what my research said at the beginning um, that we accidentally found and did some research on and it got deleted for the first time. And then the right. second time it got deleted was for the period issues, which now is are being common. studied. Yeah, it's like now those things are being studied, but we got deleted because we found out about it too early. Right. <laughs> You're too ahead of the curve, Brad. Yeah, too ahead of the curve. Bye-bye. See can't tell the truth too early. People don't like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like, hey, guys, I found something, but I'll talk about it in six months. Right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Right. It might in be important. Meantime, yeah, in the meantime, thousands of people are going to suffer. And they're like, yeah. I doubt it. Delete him. He's right. not... <laughs> Deleted. Oh my goodness. Okay. So speaking of the jab, they'll soon be released as safe for the pediatric population ages five to 11. So what are your thoughts on this? Does this make any sense at all for children to be receiving the jab? Uh, No, it freaking makes zero sense, (laughs) except in those people who are like, if you have a child that's morbidly obese or who really is at high risk of dying from Rona, it might make sense to protect them, but it's not going to be protecting other children. And it's really, really risky to do that because those kids are actually three times more likely to go to the hospital from myocarditis or pericarditis after their jab than from Rona. So we're literally like putting them at a higher health risk by jabbing all these children. And we know that like trials don't give you the accurate data because 0.8% of women in the trials got limp swelling. And in real life, it was 16%. So I was like 200 degrees wrong of detecting adverse events. So we can't trust. And I'm like, I don't trust any of the study or data that's coming out for what they're going to tell us about these five to 11 year olds, because I know they're probably not tracking them very well. And the data we currently have says it's already extremely dangerous, three times more than the infection is trying to help with. Yeah. So it really makes very little sense to jab these kids like under 18 or under Here's 20. Here's what I don't understand. I mean, all things aside of like children that young are at such low risk with COVID anyway. Why wouldn't we at least exercise extreme caution and test every child extensively for antibodies before? Like that makes sense. And there's even like great pediatricians that have come out. Like, I don't know if you guys follow Dr. Lisa song, she's wonderful, Mm -hmm. but that are advocating for like, okay, second jab makes zero sense for children. If you actually test their antibodies, they have more than enough protection after one and virtually all the side effects we're seeing are after the second jab. Like we can at least do it smarter. If, if people want that form of protection for their children right? Like we can do better by them. It makes no sense to be doing the same thing we do for adults with children. Totally agree. Luckily, Isn't they, it the same dose they give adults too. Isn't it like the same? They actually decided to lower the dose. They cut it in half. Okay. I think even a third now. And they said that that's just effective in the kids. So that's actually good. They're using At least they did that. Yeah. At least they did that. Yeah, totally. But you're right. So many of these kids probably already have T cells or antibodies and don't even mm-hmm. need the thing anyways. Mm-hmm. So that would make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense to do that with adults too. But oh, yeah, good. absolutely. I mean, people do that with dogs for jabs. We'll right. Hold their antibody titers. Yeah. Right. So people, and people care more about their dog's health than their own health. Right. <laughs> so well, right. Isn't that like the vet will always ask like, oh, what have you changed their diet? Are you feeding them something different? Yeah. You know, maybe we should change their food. And it's like, that's like never even a question that most doctors ask. Right. Just chicken nugget it up. Yeah. Oh, that that's not going to affect anything. McDonald's is great. <laughs> chicken nugget it up. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, I ate Brad. a lot of nugs as a kid. Let me tell you. Yeah. And you're still here and thriving. So it's all good. Yeah. Body's resilient. So what are some resources, Brad, for people to learn? We talked about open VAERS. We'll definitely put that in the show notes, but do you have other great resources for people that want to dive more into what are the actual numbers that's not skewed by politics or whatever? What are the ingredients? What are the risks? Um, the ingredients you can look up on Google and just look up like the ingredients, but I would say like Google the ingredients and then Google like PEG, carcinogenic, PEG, reproductive toxicity, Google, um, polysorbate 80 carcinogenic 
polysorbate 80 reproductive toxicity and just like look at those studies because that's pretty eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's really not like a ton of great resources out there that's talking about this stuff because they've all been, the major 12 got deleted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like the disinformation doesn't, like those people got deleted. Um, they can go to my Telegram. I try to put some videos up there that's kind of like summarizing currently what we know. So we can like link to that. It's an app. Unfortunately, we have to get like a different app to go through that. Um, I'm trying to get those uploaded onto my website as well. But um, the website's a little like two, three months backlogged, but Telegram has like the whole stuff people can use. And um, there's some different people who I follow that I really trust as far as like being a voice of moderate reason and telling you like, here's how effective it is or not, rather than just like, we hate the jab or like, we love the jab, which is what most things are these days. And the two big accounts that I follow are uh, Rob Herring, who's like the Rob Herring on Instagram. He um, gives a lot of that really useful stuff. And um, Ashley Everly, who was a toxicologist and hers is Insta underscore Ashley Everly. And she has the everlyreport.com. And she has a lot of very like just black and white kind of like, here's the data, here's the research, make your best decision. And I think uh, Lisa Song you mentioned too is a good voice mm-hmm. as well. Okay, awesome, awesome. No, that's really great. I think that's really helpful. So we're about to jump into a major viral season, whether this little coronavirus is around or not. This is just- Our 2D2. Get sick, Coming in right? Yeah, the R2D, <laughs> we've got Star Wars variant coming in. So what would be your final recommendations for people looking to just keep well and keep their immune system strong? Um, yeah, especially with R2D2. Well, R.1, <laughs> I actually think it's, uh, I call it the motorcycle variant because Yamaha, uh, Yamaha R1 is actually yeah. like a super powerful motorcycle. So <laughs> all right, cool. Uh, it's forever the Star Wars variant for me, but. But yeah, now that's so much more catchy. So we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so for the R1 due to or something variant, <laughs> it's going to be how to keep your immune system strong. I think um, like cut out the drugs. It's like always my number one is like go drug free if you can. Like cut out alcohol, caffeine, marijuana, like your daily drug use that most of the people listening probably are doing, but not admitting to, or like, don't want to think of it as a drug because everybody does it. Um, but just cause everyone does like nicotine doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, but I think if they start to moderate some of their caffeine or alcohol or marijuana usage, that really does help, um, like strengthen your immune system a lot, just like taking out the toxic stuff. So like trying to avoid fast food or processed food, switching to eating at healthier restaurants, if you are eating out and trying to cook more at home, go a little more organic. I think like food and drugs are the big ones for your immune system since 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So just like the lifestyle is key. Sleep, food, less drugs are like my big three. Um, Hydrating is good. Getting, yeah, getting, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep. Um, Ideally restful sleep is also big. And then we can like get into the supplement and like additional things. Everyone's looking to like outsource their power to a supplement like, what can I do for my immune system? What they really mean is like, what can I take rather than like, mm-hmm. what can I do? Changing like, their lifestyle. Changing your lifestyle. So I think lifestyle is always big. Um, but then vitamin D, C, zinc, and quercetin are like the big vitamins that help, are helpful. Then if I had to add a fifth vitamin, it would probably be N-acetylcysteine. It's shown to help a lot. So mm-hmm. D, C, zinc, quercetin, if you can get your hands on N-acetylcysteine or NAC, that's real helpful. And then herbal wise, um, for kids, I really like Congaplex. If they're not vegan by standard process, they have chewable Congaplex um, stuff, vitamins, or um, Megasporbionic is a good immune boosting probiotic by Microbiome Labs. Um, that one can go for kids or adults, but um, Echinacea and Astragalus and Eleuthero, Cordyceps, Chaga, you can even get Cordyceps and Chaga in teas now, right? By like Four Sigmatic or other companies. So there's all those like mushroom adaptogens, but I really like adrenal complex by Mediherb because there's research showing that Romania and licorice are both, um, good at stopping viral replication. 
So adrenal complex by Medierb has Romanian licorice in it, which both like lowers and raises blood pressure. So it doesn't affect your blood pressure, but it's a good adrenal tonic. It's generally pretty neutral. People don't really have reactions to it. And it's kind of a good preventative and support throughout the colder months anyways. Love it. Those are great. So many great tips. All right. Okay. Thanks, Brad, so much for your time. Yeah. This has been super, super informative. And obviously we'll have to do a yeah, part super good in a few months when everything changes again. Yeah, I'm sure it'll get <laughs> nuts. And there's like it's like we don't know how it's gonna get nuts, but it's definitely gonna get more nuts. Yeah. It's we always never known, you know. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, there'll right. probably be like some new cool variant we can like rename. We'll be great. Yeah, we'll be well past Star Wars. <laughs> Can't wait for it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening. We will leave all of Brad's information and all the wonderful stuff he talked about in the show notes. And as always, thanks for listening. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by this site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.